look who's back. Welcome to Matinee. I'm Julia. I'm Maria. Julia, who's our guest today? Today, we have a very wonderful, exciting guest from Montreal, Amelia Moses. She's a filmmaker, writer, director, and our wonderful guest today. Hi, guys. How are you? We're doing all right. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. Now, are you hearing the outside of my window? Now I heard okay, the yeah. outside. Should I close the window? Maybe best to be safe. No, it's okay. No? It's okay. ambiance of the beautiful Montreal. I live mm-hmm. near a bus stop, so there's lots of buses <laughs> and motorcyclists, as you just heard. So. <laughs> glamorous. Bustling. Yeah. The, the glamorous life of an independent filmmaker. Yeah. And speaking of independent filmmakers... Which movie uh, did you bring for us today? So I chose Rushmore, which is the 1998 uh, Wes Anderson movie. It was his second film. And I guess kind of his first film that made him more well-known. So people kind of associated it as like almost his first film, but he had one before that. And yeah, I guess I watched this film for the first time when I was like 12 or 13, maybe. And it was just one Mm -hmm. of those like times we watch a film and you're just like this feels so different and unique and it's just like super Mm -hmm. exciting so i really remember watching it for the first time and feeling that yeah yeah maria (laughs) couldn't say your name there you know when before you were saying that you've never forgotten a guest name (laughs) now of course this is what's gonna happen i'm gonna forget your name i'm gonna forget my name what is your relationship to rushmore um, I've never seen it before. I'd never seen it before. Oh, you had it? Oh, I thought you had. No, no, I had seen Ball Rocket and I was annoyed. Uh- <laughs> Actually, the whole time I was watching the film, I kind of had your voice in my head and I was like, I'm really <laughs> worried Maria's not going to like this. Maria doesn't like anything except for Moulin Rouge. It's fine. I only I only like the Moulin Rouge. It's true. I only watched the Moulin Rouge over and over and over again. Uh, no, no, it's fine. I didn't. I, I also expected that I wasn't going to like this. Um, bec- even though I like his later stuff, like the Darjeeling Limited is one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. um, but his earlier stuff I find very contrived. This one, I, I guess it was okay. It was interesting. I what you just said about kind of seeing something really interesting and new. I feel like if I had seen it when I was younger, I would have felt that. Yeah, like I get that feeling yeah. from later films. Like I think the Darjeeling Limited was one of his first that I saw, and I was like, "Wow, this is really different and interesting and new." And I, I this one didn't feel that way, but I see how you felt that when you first watched it. And I think it was the first film of his I saw. I might have seen Rural Tenenbaums before, but I'm I'm pretty sure it was this. And I think it especially like whatever. If you're a fan of his style, which not everyone is, but like then whatever the film you see first, I think is always gonna kind of. I think you're right. Yeah. Stand out. Yeah, this was definitely not the first Wes Anderson film I saw. Yeah, what's your relationship? Um, I I think I watched this. I just had like a list of movies that I wanted to see in like grade twelve or or first year, and I went through and watched them. My mom is a really big Wes Anderson fan, and she really liked oh. this movie a lot. So she had recommended it to me for I guess a little while, and it. I watched it just kind of like as a, oh, I like Wes Anderson movies. Maybe I should go back and watch his first few. And like, I enjoyed it, but it's definitely not one that has stuck with me as much as like Royal Tenenbaums has. But I think that is like what you said, because that was my first exposure to his style. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And this movie is a little bit more understated also, I think. I think that's Um, what I like about it. And I think... The more he's made films, the more he's gone into the heavy aesthetics. And mm-hmm. I 
I kind of like that Bottle Rocket and Rushmore are a bit more rough around the edges, I guess. Because yeah. I just, I don't know. I think it, I like his earlier stuff better, I guess. To contradict yeah, Maria. interesting. I think, no, I think that's interesting because it is like, clearly his budgets have grown and like mm-hmm. his star, the star power in the films has expanded and stuff. And it's like his style has like become this so distinctive he's like such an auteur and his style is still visible here but it is such a more humble sort of film than his more recent stuff for sure make a like a list of wes anderson stuff as we were going like Mm -hmm. like the tropes that he hits Mm -hmm. maybe we can go over it later but like it's definitely like oh i see it yeah well i see it i don't that's really cool to i mean even in bottle rocket you felt his style and yeah. like it's pretty rare for a director to like have their style so down packed so early on. Like it's mm-hmm. so the fact that it's like, yeah, okay, less money, maybe obviously less experience and stuff, but he still is going with the same style so early on, which is really interesting. He, he did what he could, like with his style and kind of on a smaller scale here. And then I guess just as the scale has grown, he's been able to like get even more and more and more stylized yeah well it's still his his like cinematographer guy robert yeoman yeah who's in this so who did this sorry who shot this for him but it's it like who now is like this huge yeah it's cool to see how they've like grown and like yeah i don't know they clearly knew what their style was from the beginning Mm -hmm. it's just now it's only expanded because they have more money did robert yeoman shoot bottle rocket though no, okay, I think yeah. this was the first one yeah. they did together. Yeah. Wait, someone mm. should research. Like, I'm pretty sure. I'm just saying that. I'll I'll check IMDb. You know what you were saying though about the style that was and and uh, how it's so rare for a director to know exactly what their style is from the get go. Um, I think that I was watching an interview from '98 and Bill Murray. He did Bottle Rocket. He did. Bottle he did. Rocket. Okay. Well, I stand correct. <laughs> um, I wonder how they met because he's older. Yeah, exactly. That's why anyway. I thought maybe he was already an established yeah. photographer. Mm, he did Bridesmaids. Another good oh. movie. Anyway, sorry. What were you saying? And another other weird stuff, other comedies. Yeah, he's done a lot of comedies. Sorry, I was just that was distracting. But yeah, no, Bill Murray was saying that that's one of the reasons why he decided to sign on to this movie because he, just from reading the script, was like, this is a director who knows what he wants mm-hmm. and who has a very clear idea of what's supposed to happen here. And that seems like someone that I want to work with. So, you know, if you can convince Bill Murray on your second feature. Yeah. <laughs> not, bad. not bad. Shall we get into the plot? Yes. So we open on a high school math class. The teachers put an equation on the board as a joke. He says, if anyone can solve it, they'll never have to open another math book again. Uh, Max. Uh, Jason Schwartzman is reading a newspaper in class. He goes to the board. He solves the equation. Everyone applauds. And then cut to he's in church at school. What is that called? I think they call it chapel. They just call it chapel in the movie. Okay. Because he's like, no, didn't you have that in your school? What is this? Like, did you have a religion class at your school? I thought you did. Yeah, but we did it in the classroom. Oh, okay. This is like a sermon, sort of. Like, there's not, maybe it's not a sermon. (laughs) But they're in a church. It's, it's like not a, like a religious like, class. Yeah, it's like an assembly, but it's in a church. Yeah. Oh. Anyway, that's where he is. So he's been dreaming. He was asleep. Um, 
Oh yeah. So what happened in that scene? The principal is talking, and then Bill Murray talks. Bill Murray is giving like a speech, and I just remember in the Bible, Max writes, "Is this the best chapel speaker we've had so far?" or like something like that. So I'm guessing yeah. that people. It's like an assembly, and I guess because um, Bill Murray's character like his sons go to that school and he donates to that school, they've asked him to to be a speaker. Right. Okay. I didn't understand why Bill Murray was talking there. I thought he was a teacher or something. No, He's just like a rich, successful guy, I guess, who's been invited to come speak at this school. And also, yeah. I think he donated money and I think he probably went there in the past. Probably. Right. And and Max it really admires him for some reason. Because he gives this very like disillusioned speech about his job and working and rich people. And I think what Max like takes from him is just that he seems different than what he's used to. Like he just kind of seems like someone who, I don't know, has a different approach to life maybe. So he's like intrigued by him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah. So then we meet Max. He um, is in every single club at school. He's in model UN stamp and coin club, yearbook editor, lacrosse team manager, calligraphy club, astronomy club, everything. But we also see him meet with the school principal and he's been put on academic probation. If he fails another class, he has to leave the school. So he says like, no matter how hard he tries, he always fails. He got into the school by writing a play. It wasn't about his grades. He clearly puts all of his energy into extracurriculars and none of it into academics. Can we talk just for a second about the montage at the beginning Mm -hmm. of showing all his like extracurricular activities? Like I think that was the, I remember so clearly watching it for this for the first time and just like with the song and the editing and just all the shots, you're just like, okay, what the fuck is movie? This is so good. (laughs) Just so satisfying. And like, I don't know. So that just really satisfying. That, that song always like gets me because it's, such a good moment it's also strange and it also comes at a moment where you're expecting credits but instead you get his achievements which is both smart and strange and again something that you haven't really seen before in like in the 90s you wouldn't see that anywhere else well kind of acts like a credit sequence you're right but they're not actually the credits like no exactly yeah. yeah so it fits the spot but it's something else i do i do love that style i love that that aspect of Wes Anderson films, uh, the way he like the, the exposition, I guess. Or that he takes something that, you know, as something and he puts a, his spin on it. I was just thinking like lists in general, the way he does lists. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like but we're also getting to know the character, not through exactly. by just showing us exactly what he does. So it's all yeah. visual, yeah. but we're understanding him more and more. Totally. So, yeah, so at the school assembly, Max meets Herman Bloom, who hates his job, even though he's very rich. He gives this speech. He's depressed about his marriage and his sons, who are these two obnoxious twins who go to Rushmore. So Max is impressed by Herman's success, and they kind of become friends. So Max's dad is a barber. Um, he shows his dad his bad grades. His dad's like, he says he puts too much into his extracurriculars and he should spend more time trying to score chicks. His dad is very sweet and encouraging. I really liked him as a character. He's a great character. grandfather from Up. (laughs) He doesn't, that wasn't immediate. Your first No, I've never seen Up. I mean, he has like gray hair, but that's the extent of it. (laughs) No, he has the glasses and the smooshed face. Okay. First, Julia needs to watch Up. Second, I'm right. Keep going. I haven't seen it because I'm scared. I'm going to never stop crying. 
You have that fear a lot. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> so um, Max also meets a new teacher at Rushmore who uh, teaches first grade. He sits with her while she's outside smoking on the bleachers, tells her sh- she should quit smoking, keeps asking her all these questions. He's clearly intrigued by her. And he also strikes up a friendship with Bloom while he's at his son's wrestling match. Um, he was also wearing a bright red beret <laughs> in that scene. So, Oh, yeah. Did she compliment his hat? Someone complimented his hat. I don't no, remember. No, he complimented later his n- next girlfriend's hat. Oh. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Never mind. His only girlfriend. Because to be fair, he I don't they never she makes a point of saying we never dated the team. (laughs) Anyways, we'll get there. Yes, yes, yes. So yeah, at the twins' birthday party, Bloom's wife is like fully flirting with someone else. He's clearly depressed. He jumps into the pool. I love that scene Um, so much. I think it's like my favorite scene in the film. (laughs) That is a really good scene. I love when he's on the diving board, like with the song and everything. And again, like nothing is being said it's all visual but we completely understand everything that's very going true on. Yes, and he's a perfect sad dad oh yeah yeah he looks just perfectly disheveled yeah so much of this film it's great and disdainful yeah 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 so miss cross tells max that she's a widow he says his mom died they bond over the fact that they have dead people in their families um her husband, who passed away, went to Rushmore, which is why she's gone there to work. So Max goes to visit Bloom at work. He tries to like set up a business relationship with him, kind of, where he's kind of trying to like get his money to build an, build aquarium. an aquarium at the school. <laughs> yeah. Which is kind of motivated because he knows that Miss Cross likes fish. Yes. He goes to Ms. Cross and tells her like, oh, I'm going to build an aquarium. And he volunteers to be her quote unquote assistant. So he's like following her around, filling up her glass of lemonade, like sharpening her pencils. They have this kind of weird scene in the library where he's like doing all these things for her, doting on her. And she's like, has it occurred to you that you're too young for me? I remember when I saw this film, I was like, oh, I like that she was like very straight up about it. Yeah, that was something I really noticed rewatching it is like she's very direct which is good Mm -hmm. she's nice but direct yeah and he is like oh we can't predict where this relationship is going she's like it's not going anywhere but she does say that she's never met anyone like him yeah he says that to her too but she's being very clear it's very clear that he's romantically interested in her and she's really setting trying to set the boundary um, but Max puts on another play at Rushmore and after the play, Ms. Cross's boyfriend is there. She's brought him and Max goes to dinner with Bloom, Ms. Cross and her boyfriend and gets drunk and acts a fool and confronts Ms. Cross and is like, why would you bring this man here? I really like his plays. Uh, those are my favorite <laughs> parts. His plays were like excellent. The production value of his plays are <laughs> insane. The one at the end is just like nuts. I also love that he takes them to like the next level, but they're high school students. But I was thinking about it like, you know, you're, he's 15 years old and he's clearly like a born leader, like a born sort of like person that people will follow and will do the things that he says because he's so fucking determined. Mm-hmm. And I like that about his character. Mm-hmm. And that's why I, th- I really like his plays. There's bonkers. Like who the fuck would make something like that when you're 15 and 
a lot of people show up. He gets it done. Yeah. A lot of people show up. People like it. And I think that's his kind of main redeeming characteristic is just like how much he cares and is willing to put into something. And like, like you said, determined because mm-hmm. he yeah. does a lot of really shitty things in this film. Yes. Yes. But you always kind of at least like, I don't hate him. Like I, I want him to yeah. succeed. I think he's misguided, but like, you know, you. Yeah, that's well put. I mean, it's very clear in this. It's very clear in this scene that he wants to, I mean, we can get into his character a little bit more later, but like he goes out for dinner with his friend who's a grown man, his teacher and his teacher's boyfriend and he gets drunk and it's like so clear that he is still a child, but he's trying so hard to be a grown up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the boyfriend's Luke Wilson. Yeah. Yes. And he's he's very, very hurt that Miss Cross brought Luke Wilson with her because he's like, this night was important to me. You hurt my feelings. I'm in love with you. It's very awkward. The next day, Bloom goes to Ms. Cross on Max's behalf and says that he wants to talk to him. She's like, I shouldn't see Max anymore. I let him get too attached. Again, she knows what's up. She's blunt about it. I liked it. But Max writes a letter to Ms. Cross. He says he's sorry that he's not used to drinking alcohol. Um, and then uh, he and Bloom have the opening was it was it this for the aquarium? Were there two openings for the aquarium? Yes. <laughs> but the, okay. the second this one, one is one much later on. Cross Wait, to show up. Sorry, it's not an opening. It's the groundbreaking because oh. they haven't opened it yet. They just are going to start building it. So and the, the uh, guy and the, who complains about, "Hey, this is my baseball diamond," is the third Wilson brother. No oh, way! Yeah. And there's another guy who's Wes Anderson's brother. I can't remember. I don't know how to describe his character, but he was also in that scene. No way. Yeah. <laughs> all the brothers. So they many brothers. So strange, all of them. Yeah. They have the same voice. So, yeah. They do. I was like, this guy's funny. Yeah. Why haven't I seen him in anything else? <laughs> I liked his character. Miss Cross doesn't show up. No. We cut to October. Max is in public school. He has been kicked out of Rushmore. Oh, because the principal, um, Dr. Guggenheim, <laughs> found out that um, he was going to do it and expel it. Like, he was going to, like, destroy the field and <laughs> uh, with no one's permission, basically. So he kicked him out. So he's in public school wearing his full Rushmore uniform. He introduces himself to his class. He's, like, very clearly not fitting in. Um, and clearly can't let go of Rushmore. Like he bikes to Rushmore after school to see Ms. Cross. He apologizes to her. Um, she tells him a story about her husband who passed away and how he went to Rushmore and ha- says that Max reminds her of him. So we kind of understand now why she tolerates him, I guess. Yeah, it's true. Right. It sounds like her husband was a person who was very like passionate about things the way that Max is. Mm-hmm. And creative. Mm-hmm. This, yeah, in a similar vein. So she agrees to tutor him so he can get back into Rushmore. Yeah. Is that right? Okay. I think so. To get better grades, right? Maybe not to get back into Rushmore, but just to do well in school. Because I think okay. he's failing okay. his classes at public okay. school. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> Bloom shows up at Ms. Cross's house. He pretends like Max had set something up for the three of them to hang out, but they didn't. But then she suggests they go for a walk and they end up holding hands. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like uh, Bill Murray is really old and like, I don't know. You're not wrong. 
<laughs> and then I was like, oh, maybe they just got Bill Murray to do it. And they were like, okay, we have Bill Murray. Like the age gap won't matter. You know, we have Bill Murray. Like we'll just have to be that way. But then I found out that he wrote the part with Bill Murray in mind. So it was always going to be him at whatever age he is at with the romantic interest of a 20-something woman. Yeah. I mean, are yeah. you saying you don't know why she goes for it? Yes. Yeah. I think that no one cares about the age difference between men and women in movies usually. And also, I guess, because she's like a widow and she's just kind of like... Well, maybe it wouldn't have stood out as much if it, if her other love quote unquote love interest was 15 so it's always like this weird there was <laughs> but this, maybe like, that's part age. of the i don't know i mean i definitely thought that this time around is kind of like her not attraction but like her kind of connection with max even if it's non-romantic is still kind of based off what we just talked about of like he him being creative and determined and like kind of charismatic and stuff but bill murray is obviously a bit of a loser um i don't know i just feel like she's lonely yeah, yeah, you're right. And I, I think, think so. just everyone yeah. is just really lonely in this film <laughs> and everyone's mm-hmm. just very desperate for something. So I think that that's because at, at the end, too, it kind of seems like she doesn't regret dating him, but she was kind of like, why did I date him? Yeah. 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 I think she kind of just wanted company and exactly. he was there all the yeah, time. Exactly. So. But yeah, so they become a couple, basically. Um, but Max's friend, Dirk who is this very cute small child. Also my favorite character. He's so he's, tiny. There's two very he's tiny my boys. Character. There's another little tiny kid. Yeah. He doesn't have yes. any lines, but it's just always around. He has a really tiny voice, too. <laughs> and when he plays a nun in his first play, I love that play. <laughs> that was delightful. Yeah. But Dirk is, like I said this when we were watching, but Dirk is a ride-or-die friend. Like, yeah. He rules. Yeah. So he sees Bloom and Miss Cross together and he confronts Bloom and he's like, this needs to stop. You're supposed to be Max's friend. He spits on his car. (laughs) Um, But then Dirk is on campus and the school bully who's Scottish and who I can't understand um, (laughs) says to Dirk, like the only reason Max is your friend is because he's hot for your mom and like, he said that your mom gave him a hand job. So obviously Dirk is upset and he writes a letter to Max telling him about Miss Cross and Bloom. And I really like this because he wrote his letter in crayon. But also his letter is so ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> like what he says. Yeah. <laughs> Some graphic details written in crayon. That would be a fun prop to have. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's really cute. So Max confronts Bloom by sitting in the back of his car while he's at Ms. Cross's house. He comes out and he's like, ugh. He's also smoking a cigarette. That's when he starts smoking. Yeah, he gets, he becomes like dark Max. <laughs> um, Bloom says that he's in love with Ms. Cross. Max says, I was in love with her first. Um, you tried to talk me out of it. And now here you are dating her. Max also goes to Bloom's wife and tells her about the affair in this very strange rooftop. <laughs> yeah, with the sandwich. Setting. Yeah, which was very, I thought that was very gimmicky for no reason. That was that was one of the things that bothered me. Like, okay, they go to a rooftop. He has sandwiches for some reason. Like, that was do like, think he's the on, kind of man. guy who but would do that. I To me, again, just this every like 
thing in this movie is like an, a child who so desperately is trying to be an adult. Exactly. But his childness still comes through. Know, that one was like one too far. I but guess. he's also obsessed with like storytelling and genres and stuff too through his plays. So he probably thinks like it's a stakeout. It's a, you know. He thinks it's like deep throat. He's like deep throat. What what does that have to do with sandwiches? Well, no, he just oh, also for the, packed sandwiches. For the rooftop he's a child. Meeting. It's like he's trying to make it seem super cool. Let's meet on like a rooftop. And then he also just has sandwiches because, yeah, like Julia said, it's like he's also still a child. He has a peanut know. butter and jelly I sandwich. Feel like that was too silly. I just no, don't. It's charming. Oh, that and Bill Murray smoking. Well, later. Okay, we'll smoking get to that scene cigarettes? and I'll tell you. Yes. That was like, I laughed so hard at that part. I laughed at it too, but it's out of place. It's not out of place at all. It's completely out of place. It's like a different movie. It's like, what is this, Airplane? You know what I mean? It's, it's a gag. It's a complete gag. Mm-hmm. And and that's what kind of bothered me about the movie is like, it's like when when it takes it like, every I'm okay with everything, but then things just go one too far quirky-wise, <laughs> quirkiness-wise and gimmick-wise. And like I'm like, other films do that or no? I think if this one, well... I think if we're looking at a quirk scale, I don't think this is like the highest on the quirk. No, you're absolutely no, no, right. It's, no, definitely not. But I feel like it jumps out because it's the whole thing isn't like that. And then one thing like that ha- or two, three. Because the like- film is like relatively grounded in reality. But then there's a few like kind of over the top moments. Yes, exactly. Like yeah, think. I think that's what I'm trying to get at. But again, I think that's like Wes Anderson's like. We're getting little glimpses of like what he wants to really do and like how far he wants to take it, mm-hmm. but okay. he can't really take it that far in this movie. Okay, I don't yeah. Know. I just I just thought that that scene was very. It really like took me out of the movie for some reason. Specifically, that, that, that those he was two smoking scenes. a cigarette and then he added another cigarette. Yes, <laughs> because no one does that. But no one does that. No one. But there's so much in this film that people don't do. Yeah, it is true. it is self-aware it's it's constructed it's not like yes this is more grounded than maybe his other films in the sense that it's not set on like a spaceship or something but it's <laughs> like it's still self-aware and pushing things a little bit mm-hmm. it's still a reality in the film itself it's not our reality it's the film's reality so i feel I guess like maybe i you're right but it still stands out to me like it's still that's the things that I I I you can't suspend disbelief for yeah, that. We spend exactly. the entire podcast just talking about the cigarette <laughs> and the sandwiches. But it is it's very it's it that's what Wes Anderson's films do. You know they they make you spend like fifteen minutes talking about a character lighting two cigarettes because there's it's all in the the details. I guess I guess it's whether you get joy from those details or not, and it, I think. Obviously, maybe for you it varies within a film too, because you like his well, work. But I find that it did. I found that detail like satisfactory and like enjoyable. So it was worth it. I'm not disagreeing. I, I'm still saying it was enjoyable. I did laugh, but I also ma- it also made me feel like I was in a different film. Does you that make like, sense? You liked it. Yeah, you I just, just thought disagree. it was out of place here. Yeah, okay. like that gag was too much of a gag. You guys just don't agree yeah. with each other. That's fine. Yeah, I don't know. Wes Anderson thought it belonged. So controversial. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So he has this weird rooftop meeting with uh, Bloom's wife where he tells her about the affair. 
Um, and we cut to Bloom checking into a hotel oh. saying he's being sued for divorce. That was funny. But also the other part on that rooftop scene that I was that I was like, hmm, weird, was that when he was going to tell her what happened, it was bleeped by the sounds of sirens. The sound of like him telling me your husband sleeping with this other woman. You yeah, I found I mean? that a bit strange as well. Which was also, I was like, what? Why? And also like took me out of it. That, that plus the sandwiches, I was like, hmm, what's going scene? on? The sandwiches didn't bother me, but the that where the sound of the traffic uh, is over the top of the audio of them talking, I was like, I just didn't understand why. Yeah, I guess it's too I, much of a gag. I didn't find it, it was a gag. I just felt like it makes sense like within that space. And I thought it was kind of mm -hmm. like, it was an interesting choice. It's such a small detail, but it's like, we don't need to know what he's saying. The audience already knows. So true. whether it's like the perfect choice, I don't know. But in terms of like, kind of from like a filmmaker kind of perspective, it's like, oh, that's interesting. That's a different choice than what's conventional. I As guess. a filmmaker. Oh, filmmaker. <laughs> um, but uh, like there was another moment later on in the film where Margaret's character like brings him a plant and the song is mm -hmm. so loud like it's almost like a montage mm -hmm. and they're talking and we see their lips move but we don't know what they say because it doesn't matter we know what's happening yeah. so I thought that was kind of cool too but that's true that is like go back. something that he does consistently I did find that that moment on the roof a little bit weird but it wasn't like it's jarring I guess yeah yeah, yeah. it didn't bother me that much so yeah, so Bloom is getting a divorce. Um, in his hotel room, a bunch of wasps start swarming in. Uh, and like, we see that Max for you, like, like, to me, that's that would be more absurd than the sandwiches. <laughs> yeah, that is pretty absurd. He's in his bee. No, he because we've already established that he's in part of the bee club. Fair enough. <laughs> like, I don't know what my line is, but that didn't... I was like, yeah, of course, he has access to bees, He's a, like in the universe. He doesn't have access sense. to sandwiches, but he has access to bees. Listen, if he was part of the culinary club, I would believe it. I'm not. I'm not making this up. I'm not joking. <laughs> I believe. But you. if we had previously established that well, that was one of his hobbies, I would have been on board. <laughs> making sandwiches. Yeah. Anyway, he is in the beekeeping club, and we see him leaving the hotel in like a bellhop uniform with his like case of bees. <laughs> And thus a war ensues between Bloom and Max. So Bloom steals Max's bike and runs it over with his car. Max fucks with Bloom's car. He like cuts the brakes in his car. It's crazy. <laughs> so dangerous. So Bloom like can't drive properly. And then Max gets arrested. <laughs> I, what I liked about the this scene and like this film in general is every time something ridiculous happens, there is like a consequence. So like he does something insane and he like legitimately gets arrested. He hits on this woman and she's like, no, you're 15. Like he's delusional and does crazy things. And he does like have, they do have consequences mm -hmm. that are re somewhat realistic. He gets expelled too. Uh, like, mm -hmm. right. Um, he goes to the principal with pictures of Bloom and Ms. Cross. And the principal says that um, Ms. Cross already has left the school. Um, he goes to confront her. He tries to kiss her. She pushes him away. It's like, Rushmore was my life, but now you are. Yikes. Yeah. 
And she's like, what did you think was going to happen between us? Like, really, truly? They have a fight. I liked and her then speech he gets there. into What's that? I liked her speech there, actually. Yeah. When she's just like, mm-hmm. what did you think was going to happen? Like, we're going to have sex. Like, you're a ridiculous child. <laughs> yeah. It's so like, good. She's, she's so blunt. So straight up. Yeah. Because he kind of needs that because he does live in this, like, fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Definitely. He also gets into an altercation with the bully. He gets punched in the face. Um, he goes to his mother's grave and Bloom shows up there and is like, oh, you said you wanted to meet. Bloom says that Ms. Uh, oh, my God. I can't remember her name. Miss Cross? Rosemary? Miss Cross. Oh. Uh- <laughs> Bloom says that. <laughs> I don't know why this whole time, like every time I was taking notes, I couldn't remember her name ever. Um, Rosemary. Yeah. Uh, Bloom says that Miss Cross is his Rushmore. And Max says, yeah, I know. She was mine too. And then, yeah, this is when we see the scene you were just mentioning where a girl from Max's new school comes to see him. She's been like trying to befriend him, but he keeps blowing her off. She shows about his house with a plant. Um, He's there, but he doesn't talk to her. Max is working at his dad's barber shop. Uh, His dad says that he likes having him there, but also he's confused because he knows that Max has all these big dreams and ambitions about what he wants to do for a career. He wants to be a senator. His dad is so nice. And when he's like, yeah, I'm just a barber's son. You're like, wow, that's so mean. Your dad has been so supportive to you. Completely, 100%. Oh, he also pretends the whole film that his dad's actually a neurosurgeon. Yeah, they kind of glossed over that. Yeah, though I like the moment where Bill Murray finally meets him and like registers it. And it feels like a kind of shift in Max's character to be more mm-hmm. at ease with like the sides of himself that he's not as happy with, I guess. Definitely. Um, Dirk, Max's OG little friend, comes in for a haircut and gives him a present. They kind of reconcile. Um, he also tells him that the principal had a stroke and that Max could go visit him in the hospital. He shows up at the hospital. Um, Bloom is also there. He's also looking rough. One of his kids punched him in the face. <laughs> He smokes two cigarettes. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm going to skip that part. <laughs> he asks, uh, Max asks about Mrs. Cross, Ms. Cross um, but Bloom says that he hasn't seen her in six weeks. So Max goes to Ms. Cross's house. He says that he's been hit by a car. She lets him in and starts to like care for him. Um, Max asks her about why she dumped Bloom. And she's like, well, he did all those horrible things to you. <laughs> he sucks. Um, and he's like, oh, Bloom thinks it's because you're still obsessed with your dead husband, which felt very insensitive. She's also Um, sleeping in his childhood room. Her husband's childhood room. We find it. So did she move back? She moved to wherever Rushmore is. Yeah. And like is living in her husband's childhood home. I think so. At one point, like she tells Bill Murray's character, like, oh, I'm just like house sitting. Because she has this, like, mm-hmm, huge mm-hmm. house. And then I think it's, like, yeah, his childhood home. So maybe she's sleeping with his parents or maybe they're gone. I don't know. Yikes. But- um, yeah, Max tries to kiss her again. Um, he I succeeds. She's tending to his wound. But then she realizes that it's fake blood that he has on his head. And she's like, you and Bloom deserve each other. You're both little babies. Get out. Get out. Very true. Yeah, there's a scene where Max and Dirk like go to fly a kite. Um, he apologizes. 
for saying that stuff about Dirk's mom. Margaret shows up, uh, the girl who wanted to be Max's friend. And she, again, another person who's very blunt and is just like, you were a jerk to me. Yeah. Max goes back to his dad's shop. Bloom is there waiting for him. Uh, Max gives him his punctuality and his perfect attendance pin as friendship (laughs) pins, which is very cute. I'm surprised I haven't seen these in real life. Oh, as like a... Yeah, that would be cute. Yeah, that would be cute. Um, And then, yeah, he introduces his dad to Bloom. And then we have a montage of Bloom and Max having fun together. They're like riding bikes together. They're at the factory together. Uh, they're planning the aquarium together. Um, they have the grand opening of the aquarium together. And Bloom storms out because Miss Cross didn't come. He says that he spent $8 million on that aquarium. <laughs> like he's spiraling like really bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is a midlife crisis right there. Max goes to Rushmore. He shoots the bully guy with a BB gun and he then he offers him a role in his next play. And then we cut to January. The play's opening. The play is insane. <laughs> we definitely have to talk about this the after. The play, I think, is about the Vietnam War. Yes. Which yes. We've established that Bill Murray's character had was a part of. <laughs> so that felt also was a, felt a little strange, but... The play is wild. Um, He's seated uh, Bloom and Ms. Cross together. He dedicates the play to his mom and to Ms. Cross's uh, husband. And... He at, after the play, he dances with Margaret. Miss um, Cross seems to have kind of reconciled with Bloom a little bit. They dance; they share a dance together. She takes his glasses off. They have a nice moment. The film ends. Luke Wilson's there too. Yeah, he invites. Luke yes. Wilson. So he's kind of brought everyone back together yeah. to kind of like apologize and try to make amends and mm-hmm. yeah. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Thoughts upon rewatch, Amelia. I mean, I've seen the film quite a few times. Um, I guess kind of what I was saying before about like uh, Miss Cross's character. Like, I feel like now being like an older woman, I was like more like, (laughs) okay, I see her. (laughs) Well, not being like a child, like a 15 year old. I'm like, okay, I'm now probably more her age. And I'm like, oh my God. So I feel like I noticed more about her character than I have in previous watches. Whereas maybe I was thinking more about like Max's character. I was thinking more about her. Um, Yeah, nothing new really stood out. I guess I was kind of worried about like when you watch something later on and then maybe you're scared that it's not going to be as good or like there'll be things Mm -hmm. you didn't notice or something that were problems. Something that's offensive. Yeah. Yeah. The play at the end. (laughs) Was it Tropic Thunder? (laughs) At first, I thought it was like Apocalypse Now, but then I was like, no, wait, it's it's an original play. But there were some very problematic undertones with like the Vietnamese characters. Yeah, and I think it is Apocalypse Now in the sense that like he, I kind of noticed that more with the plays of like him kind of referencing like them almost being mini films and like mm-hmm. having their own kind of genres. Like there's like the crime mm-hmm. thing, um, like mafia kind of play. And then- mm-hmm. So to do a Vietnam movie essentially is like very popular, like in Hollywood too. So I think it was that kind of parallel, I guess. Yeah. And I think his plays are, and the product, the crazy production value and like, they're just such a perfect little example of Max as a character because they show, it's so apparent how all of these people are children Mm -hmm. trying to be adults 
when they're playing these insane roles and like he has such big ideas that just can't be executed by children but they're also so funny to see sorry uh, they're the kind of plays that you would write as a kid probably like Mm -hmm. a stereotypical kind of like okay it's gonna be the vietnam war like and you're like yeah okay but what (laughs) what is this beyond just like an idealized version of of what you but think he of. also thinks that he's like creating these masterpieces that are so adult and all the roles for the kids are so adult like they all have like guns and there's romance and it's like it, he's trying so hard to be to make them kind of have adult subject matter mm-hmm. but, but then there's like a 12 year old playing yeah the part which is so funny it makes it fun it makes it really funny yeah but at the same time if you think about it well, I wanted to mention something about that montage in the beginning, actually, because he wasn't just a member of all of those clubs that you mentioned. He's the, the either the president or the founder. Like, he's, like, straight up dedicated to these things. He's not fucking around. He's not just, like, joining clubs. He wants to be at the top, and he wants to make decisions, and he wants to be in charge. And that's why I thought that the choice of him making him a director of plays was really interesting, because you make them, and, and he's, like, making these things these big things and executing them and like what 15 year old that you know would have gone through all that trouble you know so yes it is crazy and fantastical and like it is a a play made by kids but it's still like no it says something about his character being in control of all he always makes stuff happen it's quite impressive yeah Mm -hmm. he like gets everyone on board and stuff yeah yeah and like Got someone to build those insane sets. Yeah, even though he kind of sucks and he's like kind of a nerd, I guess. A nerd. He's like, and it has an incredibly obsessive personality. Mm-hmm. And we see that in everything that he does. Like, yeah, like you said, he's like the president of every club. Yeah. And then it makes sense that when he like meets this teacher, he's obsessed with his school in general. Mm-hmm. And then he meets this teacher and he becomes obsessed with her. It just seems like a natural Mm -hmm. progression kind of, especially when he at the beginning of the film is like, oh, maybe I should stop paying attention to like extracurriculars and then pay attention to girls. That's a really good point, actually. Yeah. Like he's trying to become for him. This is the next stage of like adulthood. Exactly. So he's going to take that to its extreme as well. He doesn't know how to just like casually enjoy something. Yeah. And he's going to go after like an older woman. Like just all of it is not not good but makes Mm -hmm. sense with with his character i feel like there's so much you could analyze about max's character like this kid needs so much therapy (laughs) he clearly has so much grief from losing his mom and like just um one detail that i noticed this time around that i hadn't noticed before for some reason was that their house is like right next to the graveyard yeah and then i thought so yeah, when he's writing yeah, his play at the end, it's like he has his like um, keyboard or like a typewriter set up and it's like right next to the graveyard. Yeah. And his typewriter actually was from his mother. Yeah. Yeah. It had a note on it that said something like, bravo, mm-hmm. from your mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which was sweet, a sweet little detail. Like they don't explore that relationship that much. Like no. it's not that prominent in the film, but it does add a layer of like understanding his character a bit more. But again, I feel like he thinks of it as something that makes him kind of adult and like able to bond with adults. Mm-hmm. Right. Because when he first meets Ms. Cross, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he like that's when he when she mentions that her husband passed away, he's like, Oh, we both have dead relatives. Like we're both yeah. very cultured. <laughs> 
Okay, so as as a, a writer and a director of most of your main characters are women, right? Like mm -hmm. that's what you mostly write. What did you think about the representation of women in this film looking back at it? I feel like that was something that I was going to be worried about, like rewatching it, like mm -hmm. seeing it with that lens or something. And as we were saying before, like, I feel like I actually like the female characters in the film. They're obviously not, they're not explored to the same extent that I think yeah. like Max and even um, Bloom, like uh, Bill Murray's character are. But that's okay because not every film has to be about women too, yeah. right? Um, and I feel like it. There is a version of this film where the character, where the female characters were like completely just one-dimensional. And I think mm -hmm. even though they're not the main characters, they still have a lot to them. And I think that's also what I like about Wes Anderson's characters in general. Even if they have very few lines or they're very like kind of just on the sidelines of the plot, they still have a lot going on for them through very mm -hmm. like little sometimes too. And so I think like even Margaret's character, which arguably is like is quite small, I still felt like there was something there that yeah. didn't feel completely one dimensional to me. My um, only complaint would be that uh, the whole storyline with Miss Cross and with Margaret are like in relation to men sort completely. of like oh 100% yeah. yeah yeah and I guess I guess it's just like but that's what the film is about yeah um, but I, I do I, like I do like that the the women were really blunt and like really didn't take any shit from Max and were pretty um I don't know what the word I'm looking for is it's been a long day <laughs> Yeah, I can't think, not independent, but not, like, yeah, I was gonna say decisive. No, not decisive, but they they knew what they they knew what they stood for, mm -hmm. um, and they stuck with that even when Max kind of acted poorly or pushed them too far. Yeah, yeah. I think one thing too that I thought was kind of interesting rewatching it was like, I feel like inevitably now, whether this is just kind of like culture at large or me personally like inevitably watch films through a gender lens a lot more than I did when I was 13 watching yeah. this film for many reasons um yes. but that like when you're a kid obviously like seeing female characters like there's definitely films I watched when I was younger that I was like oh I like this character the representation of like you know a strong badass woman or whatever like still mm -hmm. meant something but for me it's like when I watch this film I related to Max not because yeah. of gender, but because he was just like this really eccentric, passionate person. And I related to that in terms of, you know, he was like just making shit. And that was yeah. like, you're like, oh, that's cool. Like, mm -hmm. and, and also kind of like, I think because his character is sort of inspired by probably Wes Anderson's like own kind of um, mm -hmm. uh, story as well when you are that age and you care so much sometimes you're like surrounded by like other people who don't aren't as passionate and so like sometimes it feels so extreme but there's something that is kind of cool about that and then usually when you like become an adult you can kind of grow into that a little bit more but it mm -hmm. manifests itself like so in such a hectic way at that age and yeah. so I just feel like that's probably Wes Anderson as a director was that kind of kid who's like, let's make these crazy plays and just playing like, you know, and then kind of came into himself because yeah. 
you're a total geek when you do that in high school, but then when you're out of high school, it becomes your thing, which is good to have a thing. I, I liked that it, it captured something about being a kid or a teenager really well of like when you do care about something as a teenager, like it really does become your whole world. Um, and I think he does a really good job of that, of like kind of showing – I mean, Max obviously takes it to like a whole other level – but he is really passionate and cares about something. And like, that is all he thinks about. And like, mm-hmm. that is kind of true. I think when you're a teenager, like, I feel like that's how I am in life. Yeah. In general. So did you find that you related to Max a lot? Yeah, I did. Especially at all. Uh, well, not a lot, but in like the kind of like was in like a thousand clubs. Yeah. And like what wanted to be really social and wanted to be in charge. And you know, that I, I, I feel like I am like that. And, like, I take things to the next level, even though it doesn't have to go that far sometimes. Um, sometimes it does, anyway. But, uh, yeah, I, that that part of, you know, Max, I, I appreciate it. But I also felt he was very manipulative, which was... Um, and his, self-absorbed, like... Oh, for he's, sure. He's yeah. doing everything for his own personal gain, yeah, I also find um, so it was an interesting. I'll talk a little bit about Jason Schwartzman because this was his breakout role. This was his first role. Uh, he was eighteen when he was filming um, this for this character, and so Wes Anderson wrote this, and they w- were searching for a lead for a year. Wow. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they initially wanted the lead to be English for some reason. Um, but then they, I guess they couldn't find someone or they realized it doesn't really make sense because, um, just, it doesn't make sense. So they cast, they cast Jason Schwartzman. Um, somehow the casting agent was at some party where Jason Schwartzman was as well. And he was ironically dressed in a tuxedo. Well, Jason Schwartzman's also part of the, like, Sofia Coppola's like his cousin or something. His aunt or yeah, cousin. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, from it's, that not, it's not crazy that he got to be in that environment, but it is kind of interesting that he was picked because they were looking for a really long time and they were auditioning tons and tons and tons of kids. And Wes Anderson talks about meeting Jason and being like, no, he, like in, bet- in the matter of minutes, they knew that it was going to work. Because he kind of um, was the guy. Yeah, as himself, I guess. I mean, if I met Max in real life, I would not like him. No. He's incredibly irritating. That's how I feel about Jason. (laughs) A little bit. Yeah, I don't think. Didn't he like kiss, try to kiss someone on the mouth? Didn't he try to like kiss Halle Berry on the mouth or something? Jason Schwartzman Brody. Oh, (laughs) whatever. They look the same. Yeah. No, and I think he succeeded kissing her on the mouth during the Oscars. Didn't Jason Schwartzman do something weird though as well? Not that I'm aware of. I I don't know. Maybe I'm like, I just, something about him always rubbed me the wrong way and I've never met him obviously, but there's something. He has a douchey vibe, but I feel like that's kind of just like his persona. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, it's interesting because he really like, I don't know. He always, I mean, knowing that he is related to like, the Coppola's and everything is like, of course he was going to make it. But it's also when he talks about this movie, he talks about it as if like, oh, I'm so lucky. I can't believe I I was the one who made it in this role. And it's like, okay, 
you were going to make it That's what I always found so funny about those stories, where it always makes it seem like it was just kind of like serendipitous chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, yeah. wait a second. <laughs> Oh, wait, I just happened to be at a party in the Hollywood yeah. Hills wearing a tuxedo. <laughs> yeah. Could have happened to anyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you guys think about um, Bloom, Bill Murray's character? Amelia? Uh, I think he does a great job. Like, he's so well cast. And it makes sense that it was written for him because he yeah. just fits it perfectly. Apparently, he, like, Bill Murray got really into being in the film and he like lent them money and stuff there yeah. were, the studio wouldn't let them shoot a certain scene but bill murray was like adamant that they do it and he funded the scene himself yeah i heard that too yeah interesting the the movie was made by disney which is interesting um and it had nine million as its budget which is not a bad amount for someone's like real first film you know, you've made two things and your second thing gets nine million dollars. And um, but it, it didn't gross that much. But I think people I think, you know, people were, were it got a lot of um, independent movie awards. So I think it really like worked for him to like con- keep going like people. It, I feel like it had a really positive reaction from the industry. Agree, disagree. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't there at the time. I don't right. Know. Of course, yeah. we were. We were. I don't know. Six. I can't do math. Yeah, I think we're six years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of times this is the film that people kind of like forget about a little bit because they mm-hmm. kind of get into him his work like a little bit later on. Um, I feel like it was around the time of maybe like Life Aquatic that it was like a bit more. He was a bit more mainstream. And now I feel like he's just very much in popular culture as a filmmaker, obviously. Speaking of Life Aquatic, this movie has tons and tons of references to that film. Mm-hmm. There's like, like Jean Cousteau or whatever. Yeah, there's a Jacques Cousteau quote. It's Jacques like Cousteau. filled with aquatic references and like obscure books and like must be something that Wes Anderson is also obsessed with. He was probably yeah. like the president of the aquatics club at his <laughs> yeah, there you go. school, his private high school. <laughs> yeah it was interesting it really kind of set the scene for the next movie especially with like bill murray being such a sad character yeah yeah sorry i totally interrupted when i i asked you about bloom and then i interrupted you oh i was just saying that he was really well cast and it makes sense Definitely. that it was written for him and no he's great in it i mean i think that i don't know he's almost like an extension of max in some ways like they're both just like really shitty dudes <laughs> But then yeah. you kind of excuse Max because you're like, you are 15 and we've all done stupid shit as a 15 year old. Why yeah. does he want to be friends with this 15 year old kid? Do you think like he's just that sad and bored? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I think he sees himself a little bit in Max mm-hmm. too. And I think that's what they both, even though like Miss Cross is younger than Bill Murray's character, they both admire that kind of like youthful passion. I think that Max has. Mm hmm. You know, because inevitably, like, that goes away as time goes on. And, like, you know, Miss um, Cross is, like, an art teacher. And so, like, who knows what kind of maybe in her past that she right. wanted to, like, I don't know. Maybe her life didn't turn out the same way. And obviously, Bill Murray's character is having a very severe midlife crisis. Um, and, like, everything is – his life is falling apart. Yeah, I feel like it almost would have made more sense if, like, Bloom and Max had an affair. Like, I feel like if if – 
there was something going on there. I don't know. Like, because to me, I guess their friendship is so like, yeah, Max has this like desperation to be an adult. And then Bloom is so like sad and bored with his life that this vivacious teenager is appealing to him. Wes Anderson's version of Call Me By Your Name. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) That I would watch. (laughs) Does he ever had a gay character? That's a very good question. Or like a black character. Also a very good question. (laughs) No, but I don't think he he's shy to cast. I guess he does primarily cast white people, but he's not shy to cast people of color, which is nice. Even like in nineteen ninety eight, he's casting like I guess a secondary character of color, which is you know the only other movie from like the early. 2000s late 90s that we've seen is like in juno yeah well he works a lot with the same actors too which Mm. probably lends itself to that in terms of if you're you know but i also find that annoying in his films like there's some of his sorry go ahead oh the some of his later films where you're just like everyone in this film is so famous and it's really annoying me for some reason like in moonrise kingdom i remember there's one shot where like there's like five really, really well-known actors all in like one frame. And you're just like, it just feels kind of. That's, I find it hard know. to t- suspend disbelief when there's like a million celebrities in a movie. Cause I'm exactly. like, I just don't believe that exactly. any of you are your characters. Cause Completely. I know you're celebrities. Yes, for sure. That's exactly it. Especially if you've been a character in a previous film. Mm. Like I find it very hard to suspend disbelief with Bill Murray. Um, after life aquatic i think yeah no fair enough Mm -hmm. um one thing that i thought was interesting is that although like margaret is sort of a love interest for max towards the end of the film there isn't really like a romantic conclusion to the film like he ultimately does get rejected by his main love interest who's miss cross Mm. um which i thought was kind of interesting because i feel like if this movie was made now there would have to be like a stronger romance plot line yeah Yeah. i think at the end there is a line where they reference margaret being max's girlfriend and margaret Mm -hmm. is like yes yeah like um but it's not really like that's like the very very end it's just kind of don't see him kiss or anything yeah it's true does that does that bother you no i like it i don't think there has to be that kind of plot line in every movie and it bothers me when it feels like it's just been shoved in there because like the studio gave a note or something yeah yeah so I, I liked that. I liked that it was more about like kind of his own journey and not actually about him finding a girlfriend. Like, oh, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Well, and showing different kind of relationships too in a coming of age film. Like, mm-hmm. I think that is ultimately what I really like about Wes Anderson movies is the characters' relationships are just always really interesting and unique. And like, this is such a character-driven film. Like, and. Most of his films are regardless of the aesthetics. I feel like that's what people always hold on to is what it looks like. But for me, I just find his characters are so strong. Um, and he does so much setup for those characters. Like one thing I love in um, the Royal Tenenbaums is like there's a line at the end of it where Ben Stiller's character just talk is like talking to his dad and is like, it's been a hard year. Mm-hmm. And he, he just like all he says, it's like not even that interesting of a line or anything. But because you know everything this character's gone through, his wife has passed away. He has his two kids. He hates his father. Like, and mm-hmm. 
So there's so much weight on these kind of really simple, simple lines sometimes. And I really like that in terms of his writing. It's almost the opposite of a... It's it's It was like around the same time as like Mumblecore kind of movies. But yes, it's very definitive. Like the lines are really well thought out and... They just have, I just find they have so much weight to them. Well, yeah, that's what I mean. Is instead of like characters having characters, which is just a different style and you kind of prefer <laughs> one or the other, but like instead of having people just like talking, talking, talking and not saying anything, you have the characters saying one, two, three things, like a dis- like a distilled version of a line. Mm-hmm. And that line means the most, which yeah. is like, which is really nice in Wayne West Anderson's film where you just like, he really, um, puts to work the kind of like film school thing that they teach you, which is like, uh, show it, don't say it or whatever. Show, don't tell. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. Um, which is, which is nice. It's nice to watch. It's a relief to watch. It, it makes things nice and concise and it, it almost, it's almost like wrapped in a nice little bow. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. I, you keep using the word satisfying Amelia. And I feel like that's like the perfect word. It like scratches some sort of itch in your brain looking at mm-hmm. the cinematography and like, yeah, hearing the the, the weight of the dialogue yeah. um, after and seeing these. And he expresses these, like, a lot visually. Like, he really mm-hmm. does. And there's a lot of montages in this movie when you think about it. But they're all working to convey something, whether it's character or story progression or, you know, yeah. something. It means something. And, you mm-hmm. know, it's really, it's really nice to see directors who – or this director in particular who knows what he's trying to do and knows what he's trying to say and has – the answer to the questions. And that's a thing that doesn't mm-hmm. happen. Like, it's like, it almost never fucking happens, to be honest. Like, directors never know. I mean, they're great. Directors, fantastic. <laughs> great work and hard, <laughs> hard work. But like, all you need them to do is to have answers to questions. And when they don't, it's fucking annoying. I think it's it's different when you, it's like something that you wrote yourself. No, no, it isn't. Like, it, it, sh- it, it shouldn't be. I'm I mean, not. I'm not saying okay. that it's that yeah. that it's that should be the case. I'm just saying in my experience, like if it's something that you wrote and based off your own life, as Wes Anderson did here, like he's gonna have answers. Yeah, but the royal, the the hotel, the Grand Budapest Hotel, wasn't based on his life, but he still ha- is that kind of. Director. He's built the world so uh, intricately. Like he yeah. knows mm-hmm. every, probably knows like every character's like. Yeah, yeah. Everything about every character and has everything fleshed out in such a a big way. What what I'm trying to say is, it to me he seems like someone who would be really great to work with, because even though he's probably anal as fuck and like <laughs> you know it, it still is a breath of fresh air to have something so concise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably very like Hitchcockian in that way. Who is also a pain to work with? I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Have but you like, worked with him, Maria? Yes, I have. I've worked with. <laughs> no, but he's like okay. Oh, that Hitchcock, such a pain to work so with. hard. <laughs> called out. Come on, you've read it, the articles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was. No, no, no. You're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Making me blush. <laughs> <laughs> no one's called me out like that on this podcast before. I fucking love it. Fuck you. Um. Yeah. Sorry. No, but it's true. I'm sure it's like it's both. It's like probably annoying as hell, and like also really, it's probably really great as an actor. Yeah, and maybe not as fun as like a first AD. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> but you know, you win some, you lose some, and what the finished product is is always like delightful to watch. I, I, 
as we've been talking though, I I feel like I agree with you about liking his earlier films more because feels to me now like a lot of his films are kind of more like the spectacle is like what start what, what was like the nugget that started the film was like the idea of spectacle and like these big sets and like these celebrities and this ensemble cast of famous white people and then like whereas this to me feels like it started with this character a personal story a personal yeah, story and was like i don't know if you've seen the trailer for his new film but it the looks french like a parody is, it feels this. like a parody of his own work yeah the french yes. dispatch mm-hmm. and i yes. i was like this i don't even want to watch this like no i'm a huge fan feeling. of this but yeah and grand feeling. budapest i like i don't know and same thing with isle of dogs yeah isle of dogs yeah. is very I think Grand Budapest is like so delightful to look at. It's very also, well done. Like it's incredible. What is it about? I was going to say, I couldn't tell you. you. I don't remember what it was about or who the characters were, like what they're, what they cared about. I, that's why I really like the Darjeeling Limited. Okay. It's about. That's siblings. the only one I haven't seen. It's a hit or a miss. That one, like, I feel like I've watched it with a bunch of, I think I it really, I really like it because it's about three brothers mm. and like sibling kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. Even though it's nothing like my siblings' relationship, I still like it. I didn't like Life Aquatic. Oh no! But I could, I could rewatch I it though. <laughs> I feel like I should rewatch I feel like it. It needs a rewatch. I haven't seen it in a while. Let's rewatch yeah. it. The scene in that film where they finally find the like tiger shark or whatever, and it's so fantastical. I don't and remember magical. it at all. And like Sigaras is playing. It's just like such an incredible scene because also he's the character's entire journey is about finding that shark and killing that shark. And he gets there and he can't do it because it's just this like beautiful thing. Spoiler Um, alert. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) What do you, what are your thoughts on the soundtrack? Like you mentioned a couple times like that. Oh yeah. I really wanted to talk about the soundtrack. I love that soundtrack. And I listened like so many of those songs are probably some of my favorite songs of all time because of this movie. And like, yeah, they just evoke so much emotion and like are so I find yeah, it's a great, great soundtrack. Every song usually has yes, a good soundtrack. Yes. Yeah. 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 There's so many moments uh, in his films where like it's the pairing of the song and the visual that is so iconic together. Mm-hmm. Completely. Um yeah. Is it time to wrap it up and rate it? We could do. Yeah. Wrap it up and rate it. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> You guys gonna add some sound effects after? I don't know. I just had that thought. Some horns. Did you see? Uh, Someone made like a TikTok that was like Wes Anderson. Oh uh, my god! I sound like my mom right now. <laughs> Characters. I'll find it. Having a meltdown. I'll find it and I'll send it to you. It was. It was cool. It's just like his style is so distinct. You can imitate it so easily. Okay, and it kind of bothers me that it's gone to that point. You know what because I mean? It's like obviously it's, fun, it's nothing to do with me, but it bothers like, me. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. Or when that it's, it's like integrated it with the characters and with the story. And he's so fucking good at that. Mm-hmm. But you're right. At a certain point, it feels less about character. It feels like that's what they started with and worked backwards. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can really distill it. And it's like, I, I have a list of 10 things that are like, I oh, yeah. What are they? It. It's like, okay, for the first one, it's not really, but I wrote it as a joke. Mm-hmm. Berets. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, but like, Centered shots, a book opening, tabletop shots of characters writing, a quirky lead, um, a play within the film, 
or like a story within the film mm -hmm. um a painting of a family <laughs> a character yeah. with asthma like the the teacher had asthma oh i don't remember she In had like Russia? no one said anything but she had asthma bottles oh like what are they called an, an inhaler, inhaler? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like that comes up a lot in these films. Am I crazy? Maybe. I, d I don't know. Uh, the tracking walk and talks, that's just one shot that goes right and then the characters move to the other direction, which is just like a one shot on a try on some like, dolly situation mm -hmm. that doesn't really move and then it moves and you're like, wait, this was on a dolly this whole time? <laughs> <laughs> um, an unrequited love, young love, of course. Lingering over the shoulder shots. Have you noticed that? I find also, that really like, strange. A lot of close-ups with like a really shallow focus. Or really wide lenses where something's happening in the foreground, but you also something important happening in the background. That's also a very Wes Anderson he does, thing. He does really a lot of interesting stuff. Oh, definitely. Do you feel like you like, okay, so obviously we talk about how these like the reason we talk about movies on this podcast is because they were like influential or like resonated with us in some way. Like, do you feel like you use any Wes Anderson-y techniques in your filmmaking? Well, it's funny because when I was like trying to decide what film to choose for this, like the films I make are so, so, so different than this mm -hmm. movie. But, um, and I, there was definitely a time when I was like, oh, I really want to make like family dramas. And then I was like, no, I don't want to do that. That's not <laughs> what I'm interested in. But like, I think maybe not specific stylistic choices but like the joy of this film and again the satisfaction of like the construction mm -hmm. of it I think was really inspiring and also like this film made me want to make movies like a hundred percent it wasn't like yeah. the first film but it made yeah. me want to go I want to fucking do that like yeah and so even if that means a different genre you're like I make horror movies but like there's still elements of like the kind of joy of filmmaking that come out here yeah and that have like resonated with me but nothing like specific I think just kind of I yeah. think I had the same experience and I think I did try to like emulate his style a little bit for a while there in terms I think of, a like, lot of people did in film school Julie and I went to the same film school FYI. yeah true <laughs> audience we probably saw some I can't think of any now, but like, I can think of tons from Ryerson. Yeah. Like from the program that I went to, like everyone was like trying to do that. And it was, it's so cringy to watch when it's done bad. Yeah. One thing I remember really clearly is people trying to, cause like kind of West, you could argue West Anderson has some kind of like flat shots that are very like mm -hmm. composed and almost two dimensional, but they're mm -hmm, not mm -hmm. two dimensional. It just, you mm -hmm. kind of, um, and I remember people trying to like kind of recreate that style but you're like a person up against a flat white wall just because you frame the blow in the frame, you know, or whatever's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have no depth. And the reason he's able to do that is because it's constructed sets or there is depth, but you just don't notice it because it's so kind of like integrated. Properly. Yeah, it's not actually. But I remember just like people just being like, oh, well, it's all flat and it's just straight on. But you're like, but straight on against a flat wall is just... <laughs> It's not gonna work. It doesn't do it. You no. understand it's like a plateau thing. apartment, and you're like, mm. oh god. I mean, I'm guilty of this. Like, it's I was gonna know, say, I blame too. other people. But I think it's because it is like those were the movies that got me so excited about making stuff. Yeah, because you can see its construction in such a clear way. You're like, I know, I could see that this shot was composed. 
completely and like that gets you hyped to compose a shot <laughs> and like it very cinematic and and like the world building i feel like the term world building is like associated a lot with like sci-fi and stuff mm-hmm. like kind of maybe like bigger larger scale films but i think it's like there's still world building that's going on in this oh yeah because that's so much of it it's like what's the tone what's the feeling what's the atmosphere and i also like films that aren't grounded in reality too much like this is in the sense that we like understand we're on planet earth or whatever but mm-hmm. it's still a movie and it's still a construction and you're you're still using the medium to express things emotionally that you can't do in other forms through pop music or through interesting comp- like compositions or framing or montages or kind of self-aware dialogue or whatever you know those things are all yeah. still like using cinema to just express what the characters are feeling and that to that's me is such a good like, point that's what it's all about he really yeah he really uses the medium well i think yeah so that's inspiring i think totally oh yeah definitely i feel like we should we should end there because that's yeah. like <laughs> <"Mwah."> <laughs> perfect um so yeah so we rate the movies we watch on a mushu scale from zero or one to five one being the worst, five being the best. Upon rewatch, what would you rate Rushmore? It's so hard because I feel like even through talking about it, I was like on like defending it in mm-hmm. every aspect because it's just going to be a film that I'm always going to love kind of no matter what. So I want to say like 4.5 yeah, four yeah, because I feel like But I don't know. Very, very high. Let's I gave up. I gave the Moulin Rouge a 4.5 last week, and I still think about that decision. <laughs> um, let's see. I don't know yet. You go. I will give it a. I'll give it 3.25. <laughs> okay. Because it's like, I don't know, 3.5 seems too much, but 3 seems too little. I, I really like it. I, I'm not crazy about the plot, honestly. But I no, that's that's fair. Like upon rewatch, I was like, the, there's not a lot of plot. Like the plot is the weakest point, but there's something yeah. very charming and very engaging. And I agree with what you said about it, just like using the medium well and like just being a well crafted film. That's yeah. so fun. But it doesn't make you feel those feelings of something that maybe would have had the more it doesn't, plot heavy. It I doesn't guess. make me feel the way that like the Royal Tenenbaums does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the Royal Tenenbaums for me has all of that, like what we just talked about, but it also has like emotions that I just don't feel with Rushmore. Like I just don't I guess I don't really relate to the characters or like mm. there's something about it that to me um isn't as emotional or like loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, I, you're completely right. And comparing mm-hmm. it to the World Ten of Moms for mm-hmm. sure. But mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed this film. Like it's a fun watch and a very uh, nice analysis. I, that this was a very fun, a, a fun movie to like go through. Also. Yeah, it, it was. Yeah, um, there's a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, three. Okay. Yeah, for the same reasons. Three. I just maybe I, I liked it. Maybe I just wanted a little more feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but still, still solid, solid watch. Agreed, <laughs> agreed. Sweet. 
So, <laughs> sorry, sorry if I offended your film there. Also, no, no, I don't know why I felt like that. It felt like a personal assessment of me or something. No, it's, I get I, it. Um, I get it. Three point five. I'm like, oh wow. No, we're all like we, truly, yeah, all every week. <laughs> Last week I wanted to kill Julia. <laughs> it's like it's hard. Like these films are a part of you, and when someone says they don't like it or they don't like something about it, it's like you feel like they're insulting you yourself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and like I think all the films that you guys have chosen or your guests have chosen it always comes down to that of like I watch it a certain time and so I'm always going to feel a certain way about it and yeah. you just kind of lose all objectivity really yeah. but it's fun to go back nice and try to be sorry what were you saying oh well th that's a great thing like that's not a yeah. bad thing it's nice I agree <laughs> I think it's fun to go back and like try to be objective and fail. <laughs> yeah. 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 True. <laughs> Basically. So do you want to, is there, do you have anything to plug? Is there anything you want to share? Um, yes, I have uh, my first feature film um, is done and is going to be premiering soon and it'll be announced soon. And so that hopefully will be out at some point this year. And I am currently in post-production on my second feature, which was a project I shot back in January. Um, and it was my first time not writing a film. So it's written by someone else. And uh, yeah, so we're in the post-production for that. We're editing right now. And it's so hard to know because of the current situation yeah. of kind of like, you know, right now we're just editing remotely, but eventually at some point it's like, it's hard to do the full post-production separated but I mean at least we shot like yeah and we didn't have to like cancel production like halfway through or something um so yeah things so things are moving along things are moving along we're very excited to see your work when we can see it mm -hmm. we will definitely post about it when we can to our followers and um we thank you very much for being here yeah thanks for having me guys Good film I've choice. Listening in since day one, so I was very excited. I know. Thank you so much. You're yeah, the best. No, you're doing yeah. great. You are like the most supportive friend. It's great. Oh well, you guys are doing good. I feel like I'm always skeptical when friends are like, "We're going to start a podcast," and oh, then yeah. you're like, "Should you start a podcast?" But you guys are great. <laughs> well, thank you. That's, That's like actually really high. <laughs> yeah. We were like, "Should we start a podcast?" Absolutely not. But let's do it anyway. Yeah. No, no, no. It's been good. Gotta get that like Squarespace deal. <laughs> You'll have to come back and talk about like a more horror-ish movie. Oh yeah. That'd yeah, be that'd be fun. Yeah. So you can for get sure, a little sure. more into your niche. Ooh. Yeah. All Ooh. right. Well, thanks again. Yes. Thank and uh we'll see uh our listeners next time with a movie that we haven't decided yet. <laughs> Everybody stay safe <laughs> and stay tuned. Ooh. Bye. Bye. Bye.